You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Good to see you guys. I'm so, so excited to get to be here with you guys. And uh, for us, as we continue in Luke, uh, we continue to explore what it's like to see uh, the gospel played out. And uh, we are in our 453rd week of Luke. Uh, it's been a long time in Luke. Um, in fact, my son, uh, he's going through the, the book of Luke in his devotional time. And he, uh, he's, he basically went through it in about six days. And he said, hey, Dad, why is it taking our church so long to get through Luke. I got through it in six days. And I was like, well, we're kind of going through it like slower. And he's like, why? I mean, I already understand all of Luke. And so uh, he has it down. So um, as we think about this and we think about um, where we're going, uh, this is really as we look to see the investigations of the claims of Jesus and really beginning to see um, what Jesus did and the story of uh, Jesus through the gospel of Luke of Luke, um, as we looked through, uh, you know, previously before we got to Luke, we looked at the book of Acts and we saw God do some incredible things and we saw all of this kind of play itself out. And this is where we get to look and say, hey, what caused that? As we begin to see the world change, what caused this group of people to be radically transformed? And so we get to see all of that being brought out. And so today, uh, as we look at this and we begin to see the, what, what, what transforms people, we're going to see uh, a group of people called the Sadducees. Um, we're going to see them uh, interacting with the thing called this resurrection. And we're going to get to see how this relates back to astronauts trying to drink water in space and, um, and seeing bald eagles at Silverwood Theme Park. And so all of that's going to merge together. Um, for your listening pleasure. And so we're so excited you're here. We're going to be in Luke 20. And so if you have your copy of scripture, you can turn with me to Luke 20. And, uh, and we're going to get into this and kind of just see what this story turns out to be. So it says this, as we go through, it says this, some of the Sadducees who say that there's no resurrection came up and questioned him. Talking about Jesus, it says this, teacher, Moses taught us Taught for us that if a man's brother has a wife and dies childless, his brother should take the wife and produce offspring for his brother. Strange. We're going to get into that, right? Verse 29 says this Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And finally, the woman died too. This is after all of these things. It goes through and begins to outline all these different um, brothers, all the way through seven brothers. And finally, the wife dies too. And it says this, in the resurrection, therefore, who, whose wife will the woman be? For all seven had married her. I know, bizarre story, right? It says this in verse 34, Jesus told them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection uh, from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God, since they are sons of the resurrection. Moses even indicated in the passage about the burning bush that the dead are raised, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, because we are all living to him. 
Now, this um, may seem like a kind of a strange uh, story, a strange interaction, but I really love this, and I, and I really want to focus a little bit of time on this because I think it actually has something that's really helpful to say to us. As we look at this, we need to understand the context of this interaction that Jesus is having. Now, one of the things we have to understand is this, that this was likely two days before Jesus was crucified. So this is his final week as we talked about him coming, his triumphal entry, as we talk about him coming into the city, as he's kind of in this last week of his life. There's a lot of things that come out. And the the rest of of Luke is really just talking about how um, Jesus takes his really his life up to the, the crucifixion and through that all the way to the resurrection. But we get a lot of rich content. We got get a lot of things that as Jesus nears his, um, his, his crucifixion, his death, that he knows is coming, right? So Jesus is orchestrating this thing. It is not a surprise to Jesus. This is what he's doing ultimately to make this uh, entire purpose for him being fulfilled. And as he gets there, he gets more and more direct. He gets into these situations where he's uh, like revealing just a little bit more about what this is all about. And so he has a moment. We, we hear of these people called um, the Pharisees, but then he gets to interact with this group of people called the Sadducees. And this is very important for us because we need to see the scope of what Jesus is talking about. And Luke is including this, right? He has a limited amount of words and he says, I need to make sure that they get this story in here. And as you're a listener and and a reader of the Bible, then you have to ask yourself, why would Luke figure out or want us to know this? Why would this be so important to him that he would want us to understand? Because this is two days before Jesus is crucified. And we need to know a little bit of the background for this group of people called the Sadducees. See, they were wealthy. They were powerful. They didn't believe in angels or resurrection. They took and they understood the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch or the Torah. Um, and that's what they really, they, they said nothing else but that. That is the only thing that's going to inform us. And in this, what was really key for them is they were the, the cultural elites. These were the people who were, were the academics. Um, they were the people who occupied the most significant places in society, in politics, and in theology. Um, it was a group of people that really, they, uh, they're really revolved around the temple, and, uh, and they really ultimately had these high-ranking realities to their life. This, this, was, this was the top of the top. This, was, this is the people that had the influence. This is the group of people, um, the Sadducees. And, and really what is fascinating about the Sadducees, as you look at this, is that they, in a context around them where it was natural to believe in the supernatural, they were people that did not believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in life after death. They believed that when the body was killed, the soul was done. Like there was no other thing that happened here. And it's a fascinating thing because they were countercultural in this. And this is one of the reasons in this context that they were so wealthy and they were so powerful is that they believed counter to most Everyone else, they were a very small group of people, but they believed that the here and now was the thing that you should focus on. And so all of their efforts went into um, uh, to finding wealth, to, to creating power, and to indulging in that power. Like this, is, this was their world around them. And so they rose to the top because their belief system basically said, hey, there's, this is all that there is. And if this is all that there is, we need to put all of our efforts into here and now. Now, this is fascinating. 
Because in a context where it was almost impossible for someone not to believe in, these, in the resurrection, in, in the supernatural, they were those people who did not believe in any of that. Now, if we were to think through what that time frame is and where we are at now and what it looks like for us to operate now, it is the exact opposite. That we live in a context, and if you are in a place of academics or, or a place where you are rubbing shoulders with the cultural elite, um, it is much like this in terms of their notions of uh, uh, really of supernatural things, that it is almost impossible to believe. If you were to think about um, going into these contexts in our, in our worlds and being able to say, hey, I believe that there's this thing that we cannot see, this, this spirituality, this, this supernatural, right? That's something that is beginning to be progressively more difficult for us to be able to be taken seriously in and for us to be able to say, hey, that's a legitimate worldview that is delegitimized in much of the uh, academic world that we live in, much of the cultural elitism that we begin to see, that that idea is an anti antiquated idea. And so fascinatingly, we get to have a peek at what it looks like for Jesus to collide with what I believe is the normative way for most of our culture um, to understand how we are to see Jesus and how we are to see spirituality in general. And this is fascinating because in the text, we get to see how Jesus responded to a small group of people that ultimately in our day, day and age is a fairly significant group of people and a progressively growing group of people. And so what, is the, what, what do you have to say to your friends? What is it that you have to say as you begin to get into the arenas of the academic, uh, of, uh, of being able to interact with culture? What is it Jesus has to say? And here we get to see this. And this is why I pulled this out because I really want us to be able to see this is what Jesus says to people that don't have an understanding of the supernatural or the spiritual. And here's where he gets into this. And here's what it looks like. So I want to walk back through this and help you to understand the, the context of Jesus and really what he's getting at and how we can begin to apply this. So uh, let's kind of push through this again as we begin to see how Jesus attacks a group of people, or not attacks, but how Jesus um, collides the truth of the gospel with people that believe, hey, you only live once, seize the day, um, operate out of your desires, make sure that you um, uh, live in that kind of adventure because we don't know what's happening next. What, is, what does the gospel have to say to a group of people like that? So let's go back through and, and kind of watch this a little closer. So we back, go back to 20, 27, verse 27. So some of the Sadducees, again, now we have a little bit of a background, who say that there's no resurrection came up and questioned him. So they're trying to put Jesus into a place where uh, they've come up with this line of thinking to trip him up, to try to help him to get to a place where he admits that this whole resurrection idea is not really something to pursue or something that is true. It says this in verse 28, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother has a wife and the, and the, and the wife uh, dies childless, then his brother should take the wife and produce, produce offspring for his brother. Now, this is a non-supernatural way to be able to see um, kind of extending your legacy. Now, this is, this is kind of a bizarre idea. But what, uh, what was back in the Old Testament was this, this context that, that really your name and your family and your legacy was how you continued to live on was how you continue to have significance. And so 
Ultimately, if one brother marries this woman and they are both childless, then the obligation is for the next brother in line to take this, uh, his, his brother's wife. I know, bizarre, right? Who thought that was a great idea? Um, that all of a sudden, um, you know, she has her husband die and she has to begin to look at his little brother and begin to say, is that really what I want? You know, um, and then that little brother says, man, I, all of a sudden I had all the choice in the world. Now I have to marry my brother's wife. I don't even like my brother. I didn't like his taste in women, right? So um, this is this bizarre kind of idea that happens, but here's what it does. It protects the woman in that kind of context because it keeps her into a place where in that way, in that time, there wasn't many options for women, but it allows her to not be a widow, but to be a married woman. And then the second thing is that, again, it allows the family name to continue and it allows the honoring of that older brother to be significantly advanced as he begins to have, um, ultimately, through his younger brothers, um, through this, his, his family name and his significance is carried on. It's a bizarre thing, but if you were to say, let's take all the spirituality out of it and just talk about living, leaving a legacy or living out a legacy, this is the idea behind this, that this is kind of how to reach beyond the grave and still have significance in the world around you. And if you think that it's all gone and it's all absent um, when you die, this is kind of the next step. So this is the natural way to be able to have this legacy. So here's what happens. They begin to do this. And so they begin to present this. It says, now, now there were seven brothers. Now, again, we get into a little bit of absurdity. The first one took a wife and died without ch children. And it says, then the second and then the third, all the way to the seventh. <laughs> and, and I love this next verse. It says this, finally, the woman died too. And I think that poor woman, like that poor woman, she went through seven of these guys, right? So they kept dying. I wonder if by the fifth one, you know, if he's like, bro, four of my brothers have died from marrying this woman. What is going on here? This is ridiculous, right? And then sure enough, and then you're six and then you're seven and you're like, it's just this moment, you know, it's both a marriage and a funeral, right? It's the same thing all in once because I know this is happening, right? But, but the idea is that this is not a real story. This is an absurdity and trying to catch him and saying, okay, you know, and I wonder if the Sadducees thought like, okay, we start with five brothers. No, let's make it more ridiculous. Let's go six. And then someone said, no, seven, seven is what it's going to be. And so finally they arrive at seven brothers with Jesus. And, um, and so they begin to say, okay, now if we understand this, right, what you're saying is, is that when when ultimately this kind of whole thing operates on the other side of life, then there's seven options for this woman, which is great for the woman, right? She says, which of these seven brothers did I like the best, right? Um, but for them, whose wife is she? And all of a sudden it gets into this conundrum, right? And so Jesus told them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted Worthy to take part in that age in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now, this is a really key thing because what Jesus is doing is beginning to uh, help kind of explode their worldview and helping them to understand a way of thinking that's radically different. And so let me see if I can help us to understand this just a little bit differently. So as we begin to think about uh, how life is played out and, and how this works, what we begin to see is kind of this idea 
of life going on. And if you think about this kind of continuum and this timeline, this is, this is how this is playing itself out. But then what we begin to see is, is that there is a way of thinking and a way of processing as we begin to think about, okay, this is what this looks like and here's how we make decisions when this is all that there's at. And these Sadducees are basically saying, hey, in this situation, let's, let's outline this situation. Let's look at this and be able to ask a question about this. But here's what Jesus does. To those people who deny this and, and to those people who say, okay, we don't understand how this works out. Please help us to understand this. Here's what Jesus says. He says this, that you don't understand that there is something else that's happening, that there's another plane that's happening. There's, there's something else that you don't see. And that something else is what I am creating. And that something else is that there is an other. And that other, that, that spiritual reality, that supernatural reality, is something that has been continuing on before. And we might not have been able to see it very well. And we might have seen all these things that kind of point to it, but, but it's not fully here yet. And what we see in this moment is what we see Jesus talking about this. There's a moment where I'm gonna come into the world and I'm gonna do something on the cross that is fundamentally gonna take something from uh, this ambiguous idea and it's gonna be something that happened. And we begin to see this and the early church said, hey, there's something that happened and that something that happened transformed everything and made what was kind of a, a difficult to understand. You see throughout the prophets and they begin to point to this and they begin to say, hey, there seems to be something up there. They're pointing to something up there. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to reveal that there is something here that happened. And that something that happened is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus came ultimately to say, there is a new kingdom and a new king, a part of this kingdom. And really what that is going to be is a new way of thinking. And the principles that operated in this kind of context are different when it comes to this context. And this is what he said, that was that age, but this is this age. And this is key because oftentimes what can happen is we can get caught into thinking and being able to say, okay, I'm just going to think th through these kind of thoughts. And they begin to say, okay, so when marriage happens, we know it's like this and they're thinking these thoughts. What Jesus says is, here's what I need you to understand. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this stuff. I'm talking about this reality. I'm talking about another way of, of thinking. I'm talking about something that's happening that you cannot see, but is, the, but is very real. And so what we begin to see then is this morphing to be able to say, are you thinking here or there? Is this the way you're thinking or are you beginning to understand what's happening here? Because at one point, here's what the Bible talks about. That this, this, this continuum here, this, this way of operating in this world will eventually cease that there'll be an end to that and that all that will be left is this. And it begins to help you to understand there's a place of the physical and a, a place of your soul. And here's what Jesus is helping them to understand. You're thinking about this in this kind of way. And I'm talking about this in a radically different way. That you are discounting the supernatural because you think it's flawed. But the problem is you're only using this kind of logic that you don't understand the ways of the kingdom, that you don't understand the ways of the king, you don't understand that there is actually something that is significantly greater, that there's something that everything is pointing to, and if you can see it, you begin to operate out of it, and you begin to shift your mindset from the things of this world to the things of that world. 
Okay, so as we begin to think through this, what I want you to get is this idea that really, when we begin to operate in a different realm, the principles change. And so here's where we get to the, the context of people who understand gravity and people who walk on this, and gravity is a normal part of life. But there's a context you can go where there is no gravity, right? You can go into space. And if you've ever watched those space um, videos, all of a sudden it's mind blowing to us, right? Because we begin to see these people that are floating around and we begin to see that gravity affects everything differently, that gravity makes our water spread out on the floor, but it makes theirs glob into these like orbs, right? And these orbs are floating around, right? And then they get, and they have to exert a force on that because it's just floating around and it's mind blowing because all we've ever experienced is gravity. And we think this is how it is. And then you begin to see something and it's kind of mind blowing. You begin to say there's a principle that's changed. And that is the principle that gravity is not affecting them like it is affecting me. And therefore there's all kinds of things that have to change, right? That when you begin to go to, uh, to study what, what it's like in space, how they do so many different things is radically changed because we, uh, have this understanding of gravity that's no longer present. And so they're going on a treadmill, right? And they have to be strapped down to the treadmill that they sleep in bags that are, that are, um, you know, on the side of the wall. That if you talk to astronauts that have been in space for a long time, what happens is their clothes actually never touch their skin. And so they get back and all of a sudden it's like they have this massive pain because all of a sudden their skin is feeling the, uh, feeling the clothes and it got used to not having clothes. All of these things that transform everything about it and you don't even realize what's going on because they've gotten used to life in space. Their bones have changed, their density. In fact, they took and they had these twins, right? And you might have heard these guys that were twin. One of them went to space. One of them didn't get to space. And they came back and there was like fundamental changes. Like they were different in height. They were different in, uh, in even the way that their body functioned. Because one of them had been in the principle of this world in gravity. And one had gone to outer space or gone to space at least somewhat into the, in the, uh, in the International Space uh, Station. And stayed there for a significant amount of time. And it fundamentally changed, right? They would talk about they get back home. And they get back to this and, and they can barely walk because the, their legs have not been used to bearing that kind of weight. And there was so much pain because their joints hadn't been done because there was a fundamental principle. Now, help me, let me help you to understand that when we're thinking about this, it's the same idea that there's a way of thinking that is, that is normative but it's not until you have a different experience that you begin to realize it doesn't have to happen like that all the time. That, that fundamentally principles change and those principles that change create a different way of living. And so in the same way as we would be able to say, hey, gravity is just normal. But then if you were to exceed that and get out of the bounds of gravity, it would be a completely different way of living. There would be fundamental changes. And here's what Jesus is saying. You've been thinking about this in this context of only this life. But what I'm about to do is I'm about to, in two days, I'm about to give you access to a fundamentally different way of thinking. And that fundamentally different way of thinking radically changes your understanding of marriage.
You've thought about it in this context, but I want you to get this understanding that on the other side of life, when you experience life in the context of the resurrection, there's not going to be any context for marriage because marriage is made for this life. Marriage is made for this moment. Now, I don't want us to get too much into marriage, but you understand what Jesus is saying, because here's what he says. Here's the reason. They cannot die anymore because they are like angels and they're sons of God since they are sons of the resurrection. So here's what they're saying, that the fundamental understanding of who they are begins to change in light of the resurrection. The fundamental understanding of life on the other side of life when we think about the resurrection, it changes because there cannot be any death. Now, there's another understanding here, too, that he's looking at this and being able to say, hey, once you understand your accessibility to the resurrection, you will not ever want to take and go back to this way of the law with Moses where you try to manufacture your own legacy because you'll never die because your soul is saved, because eternity is guaranteed for you because of the life and death of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying the, the way of Moses is not functional anymore. The way of this isn't needed anymore because now you will be able to have a legacy that far exceeds the amount of children that you could have and the amount of uh, longevity you can have through your name being expanded for generations. This is absolutely absolutely incredible for us because as we begin to see this we begin to understand how it is that we watch Jesus at work so fundamentally what Jesus does is this he takes and he lives this sin, sinless life and he ultimately takes and he gives this life and says I'm going to sacrifice my life so that you may live so that you may have access to God the Father, so that you may be made right with God, so that that which separated you will no longer separate you, and you can be unified with God, and so that you might have eternal life. And this is this incredible thing that through Jesus, in just two days, we're going to see him give up his life, right? We're going to see him voluntarily go to the cross and ultimately use his death to overcome all death. That everything that is messed up in the world, that everything that is, that is, that is messed up in our, in our lives, this is covered by the death of Jesus Christ given to us freely that we might be able to claim the free gift of God is in his son, Jesus Christ, and that we might be able to ultimately see um, our world change. And it says we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. Why? Because we begin to understand that we have a soul that's been transformed and no longer is separated from God, but is unified because of Jesus Christ. And this is key because here's ultimately what Jesus is confronting. He's con confronting the reality that over and over people are challenging and saying, do you actually have the authority to do this? Do you actually have the authority? This is a whole string of stories that begins with just the blatant ask, do you have the authority to do this? And every single time Jesus proclaims how the bigger picture of God's work is revealing his authority to be able to allow us into a new understanding of thinking. The key is this. Will we begin to see this way of life? Or will we begin to see what Jesus has intended beyond this? A few weeks ago, or not, sorry, not a few weeks ago, last week, um, my, my family and I went to Silverwood Theme Park. And uh, 
I don't know if you've ever been to Silverwood. For those of you who are in Oregon, I, I doubt it, um, but you should. It's, uh, it's this bizarre, um, bizarre theme park. It, it's great, it's, um, but it's bizarre in the fact that it's located in Athol, Idaho. And, and you think like, wh- why did someone decide, hey, you know what we need here in Athol? A massive theme park and a water park and all of this stuff. Um, the story is, is fantastic in terms of someone who just has a vision and goes for it. But, uh, but we're there last week and um, I'm there with my family. And, um, and there's some stuff there that is just, it, you, you look at it and it's like someone just had a thought here that they wouldn't let die. And um, someone just had a thought here that they just thought, hey, I'm not going to listen to logic. I'm just going to continue this line of thinking. And it turned out to be something amazing, but no one would have ever thought this. And one of those is, uh, is this, this train ride that goes around the park. And uh, if you've ever been to Silverwood, um, it's kind of an unmistakable thing because it's kind of in the center of the park. And this train um, is, is kind of a big deal. And so they have these massive roller coasters and shows and stuff like that. But, uh, but like the train is one of the original parts of this park. And so they put a lot of effort into it. And if you go on the train, there is, uh, it's kind of a show and it's this wild west show and you get on it and you're taken and you go past like Buffalo and then you get into the woods and it's, uh, there's no theme really, except for we're all on a train and what could happen on a train really. Um, if you think about that, um, no one's thought, Hey, logically, does this all make sense? Because we're talking about Bigfoot and buffaloes and, uh, and this is kind of this wild west thing. Um, but ultimately what happens is you get taken and the train gets robbed, robbed. And so, uh, it is, it is this kind of moment where all of a sudden, uh, you're, they, they built this whole set and, um, and, and you're in danger and these bandits come and, uh, and I won't ruin the whole story for you, but, uh, but you survive, um, you get out of the park alive. Um, but, uh, but there's a lot of carnage to, um, the bandits and stuff like that. And so here we are, we're all in this train, um, because you just have to do the train. We kind of wait till we do all the things we want to do. And we do the train because you just have to do the train. That's kind of, it's kind of part of it. Um, and so we're all riding uh, with, with my family on, on there and, uh, we've, we've done it before. It's still entertaining. It's totally worth it. Um, but we're going around and they're doing this, like all of this show, right? And, and there's these people that are falling off buildings and they're getting shot and uh, falling into wells. And it is highly scripted and lots of fun. Um, but in the midst of this, all of this crazy stuff has happened. Water is spurting and all this. And we're watching this. And as we're watching it, there's something that happens. And my wife leans over Paige and she elbows me and she points and says, do you see this? And here's what she points to. Here we are. There's the silver mine, right? Um, if you can see this, but I don't, I don't know in the distance, you can see something up in a tree. I'll get a little closer. This is a, it's probably about six foot wide, but it's a bald Eagle's nest. And, and here we are on this train. Here we are in this, this context of having all of, this, uh, all of this show being done, all of this theater, all of this stuff meant to entertain. And all of a sudden, we see this massive eagle fly into this, um, fly into this nest. And it's like this crazy thing because out of the nest, we see these like little eagles, you know, and then we see this, this eagle who's obviously caught something, begin to feed what she's caught to the, or or something, something's happening, but you can see something in the mouth of this eagle as she's giving it to her, giving it to her kids or, or the little baby eagles. 
And, um, and it's this, this massive thing. And I'm like, I mean, I'm from a place, I mean, maybe you guys grew up with bald eagles everywhere. Not me. I didn't grow up with bald eagles everywhere. And so it's like our, our, you know, our U.S. Um, mascot, the, the bald eagle, flying in this massive bird into this massive nest. And I'm like, this is incredible. Like this, this is just something you don't see. And here's what it's in the context of. Uh, the false silver mine and the actors. And this is this amazing moment because I'm seeing a picture of two different things happening at once. And here's what happens. We begin to uh, point and I begin to tell my, my boys, look up there, look at, look at that, look at that eagle, look, look at what's happening. And all of a sudden, none of the show ever matters anymore. And all of a sudden, all of that stuff that's going on around us doesn't matter anymore. And we begin to look beyond that. And, and what happens is this. It gets contagious. As we begin to look at the eagle, the people around us begin to look at the eagle. The show is going on. It's highly interactive. But no one's paying attention to the show anymore. No one's responding to the prompts from the, from the fake sheriff or the fake bandit anymore. Everybody's watching this magnificent eagle fly in and out of this nest. Everybody's watching like the circle of life, so to speak, in terms of, you know, this, this dead animal being fed to these, these birds. Everybody's like, that is incredible. And it's not big and it's not flashy, but it's incredibly real. And, and what happens is the people next to us on the seats and next to us on the seats, and next to us on the seats. And finally, almost the entire train car is not paying any attention to the show and is watching this bald eagle. Now, I want you to get, there's something that's going on around us, something that our culture is every single day pointing us to, but there's something else that's going on. And if we, begin to begin, if we begin to realize that what's going around us and what the culture is pointing to and what just seems like just is normative is not all that there is, that God has called us to something else, that God has said, hey, this is the way of this age, but I want to point to something that's beyond this age. And I want to point something that I've done, that I sacrificed my life so that you could experience and if you experience this, you'll begin to point your mind up there and you'll begin to look past some of this stuff and you'll begin to do that. And here's what will happen. As you begin to look past all the stuff in this world, the people around you will start looking past it too. The people around you will start noticing that your eyes are set on something bigger. The people around you will start noticing that ultimately your focus is on something that is very real and sometimes hard to see. That some people can miss this, but because you begin to live your life looking towards that, it begins to draw other people to looking at it like that as well. And you begin to realize the truth of the matter. That when Jesus says, what, what have you to fear? Because you are people that cannot die. That I've beaten death so that you might be an overcomer. And so when we begin to think about this, it goes far beyond these realities. 
but it comes into places where we begin to see just how significant this kind of mindset becomes. And we begin to look at the world around us. And we begin to see just how this works. When we begin to look at things that we're scared of, we begin to look at decisions in our lives. We begin to look at the relationships around us. We begin to ask questions about, um, am I operating out of this baseline world reality or is there a kingdom reality that I'm looking towards? And, and is the decisions and emotions and the thoughts that I have, are these informed by this world or that world? By this age or that age, by what the culture says or what the kingdom says. And here's where you become someone who it becomes radically different because it just transforms everything about you. It transforms the way that you operate in your relationships, the way that you spend your money, what you worry about and what you find absolutely not worth worrying about. That you begin to be someone who understands what Jesus says. And you begin to understand that this is about this age, but there's something else. And you begin to pick up your eyes and you begin to set your mind on something above. And you begin to realize what Jesus says to the world is that these are the principles of this world. And if you're to take and understand the principles of this world, sometimes there's a moment where it makes no sense to think about the kingdom to come. The God's kingdom. But in your heart of hearts, here's what, God, here's what the Holy Spirit does. It begins to pick up your eyes. It begins to pick up your heart. It begins to help you to understand what is sometimes very difficult to understand. And that is the principles of the kingdom are different than the principles of this world. Resonate, let me help you to understand that the more and more you can begin to ask yourself, am I operating from the principles of the kingdom or the principles of this world? It radically changes. And you begin to realize that the things that you once thought were really significant are not as significant. And maybe things you are blinded to in terms of their significance become more and more significant. But here's what Jesus says. This is always going to bring you more joy because in the end, the fear of death has been removed. The fear of what is wrong has been removed. And so can you just taste that for a minute? Can you just get a sense of what it's like for the battle to already have been won, for your future to be guaranteed, and you're still living in this earth. But you have a choice of what principles to live by, the principles that surround you or the principles towards your future. And if you begin to realize, hey, God's got this all under control, that, that this is all a part of the purpose of God, then I believe this is the key to that joy, right? So here's what Luke is saying. He's already written, he's already seen the book of Acts play out the first 30 years. And he's watching people that begin to live this out. And he says, you know what? I've got to include the story of the resurrection and how this radically changes because I've seen this kind of people. I've seen these people play themselves out where they stand before, in front of people that are going to kill them and they have no fear that they, they give away their, their possessions freely because they know it's like, it's like the equivalent of being at the end of your stay in a country and having a handful of that currency and beginning to go back to the United States and beginning to say, it's real easy to give this away because it's going to be worthless where I go. And for you to be able to have that generosity and you begin to let offenses roll off your back and you begin to pursue relationships and you begin to operate in a different way. The things, the weights of this world aren't weighty to you anymore. And you begin that he saw these people live this way out. 
that they were all together. They had unity together. They had generosity together. They stood in front of sacrificial moments with joy and they allowed themselves to be sacrificed because they could not die because Jesus has already bought their souls with his death. And so let me, let me ask you some of these questions. Are my emotions tied to what happened on the cross? Or are they tied to what is happening right now? When you think about your emotions, when you think about these, are they tied to the cross? Are there emotions right now that you would say are consuming you and, to, and, and for you just to have a moment to say, are these tied to the cross? Are these tied to my current circumstances? Am I living on this bottom plane or am I taking my circumstances and beating them to say, hey, there's what the resurrection says to those things. Let me ask you this. Are the truths that you live by tied to what happened on the cross or formed by cultural thought? If you begin to say, hey, this is just what I think about the world. This is what I think about my money. This is what I think about my future. This is what I think about how I should spend my time. Are they formed by the cross? Or are they formed by the normative principles of this world? Do you doubt or do you live in decisions that seemingly show doubt because somehow you haven't fully understood what the kingdom of God looks like and the principles of that kingdom and you're living fully engaged in the principles of this world? Do your decisions reflect the reality of the resurrection, that Jesus has already conquered death? Do, you, do your decisions reflect that? And so finally, is there something today that needs to shift because of the reality of the resurrection? If you were to think through today and if you were to think through right now, and just asking yourself today, if Jesus were to sit next to you, and if Jesus were to understand all of your thoughts and all of the, your emotions and all of your circumstances, would he say in light of the resurrection, in light of, of what he has done for you, what would he say that you need to hear today about that? If Jesus was sitting next to you with the full knowledge of being able to understand what's in this age and what is in that age, what would he say? Hey, there's a place that you've let the worries of this age affect you in a deep way. But because of my life and because of what I've done, you don't have to be worried about that. Those, those don't have to affect you. You're living a life less than what you could live. Your joy is less than what it could be. You have more worry and anxiety than I created you to have because you're living with principles of this world and not the principles of my world. Is there something, if we just would ask the Holy Spirit to come in this moment with us and just to kind of descend in your heart, is there a place that you would say, hey, this is where I really need to hear this right now. This is the context where I really need to understand the difference in this world and the world to come. This is where I need to pick up my eyes and pick up my thoughts and set them on Christ. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that today you would Reveal to us just how significant you are. Lord, that you would show us the dead end of our thoughts.
I, I pray that you would help us to, to root out those sneaky places where being in this world day in and day out, that we have just assumed the thoughts of this world, that we have assumed the posture of this world. Lord, I pray that right now you would just make it really clear where it is that we need to begin to assume your way of thinking, that we need to take upon your, your thought process, this, this new way of thinking, Lord, that would radically change the way that we see the world around us. God, I pray that right now in Resonate Church, you would help us to begin to see some of the stuff that we've ultimately operated out of that isn't reflective of your thoughts, isn't reflective of your realities, but is something in this culture changes God in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.